Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor, where we try to connect Sunday to the weekday. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. This week, we're taking a deeper dive into Maundy Thursday and Easter Sunday, as Matthew recorded it. Uh, Happy Easter in this uh, post-Easter Sunday week, and if uh, there's a lot in these two passages, and a plethora of directions that we could go. Um, So, um, you know, Pastor Dina, Easter seems like a long time ago, and yet I still feel like I'm feeling the effects of it as, you know, we get... Trying to jog the brains. What what were some of the things that, that you heard in these passages, if you can remember <laughs> that far back? It is hard to remember that far back. But uh, I think looking at the two of them together, I think the the sense of of hope that comes out, but not instant hope, not surface hope, not Jesus wins and everything will be all right, but that deep hope that that Jesus takes on our suffering, that deep hope that the empty tomb changes our lives, even if we're still in the midst of suffering and death and struggle and suffering too. So I think if I had to sum up both services in, you know, four sentences or less, that would be, be it. Um, so what were some of the, that's a, that's a, I think that's a good summary. Um, there, there is a lot of depth in how Jesus attends to suffering and invites us into suffering. What were some of the particular points that, that you kind of saw in this and wanted to bring out? Um, I think some of the particular points, especially thinking about the disciples and their experience and the women and their experience, what it must have been like first to celebrate Passover in the midst of still being in captivity and kind of that longing, that remembering what God had done and longing for God to do that again. And then also for the women as they arrived at the tomb after watching their friend get tried unfairly and beaten and hung on the cross and died. And then to find him not there, I can only imagine that their thoughts are like, oh my goodness, what now? What Mm -hmm. more could they do to him you know haven't they done enough why this now and that heartbreak that must have yeah um that heartbreak that must have come along with that as then they reckoned with the idea that he wasn't there because he was alive i think i think sometimes we skip over that uncomfortable part because we know the good news that he was alive but that's we, we are talking about confusions and sticking points. And in some ways, there's not many confusions in this passage. It's so familiar. And we understand it until you back up and say, wait, someone who is dead is now alive. That is a confusion. <laughs> yeah, the, that's not the way we expect things to happen. Yeah. Their, their first thought was not, he's alive. Woohoo. The tomb yeah. is empty. Yeah. Their, their first thought was like, oh, come on. What now? Yeah. So I can imagine what what kind of emotional whiplash that must have been to we're sad and we're going to to honor his body because we didn't have the chance to do it. Now he's not there. So now we're sad and angry and now we're confused because the the clo- the clouds are there and um and now we realize he's alive and what do we do? What, how do we, how do we 
make sense of all of this in a span of, you know, just just a little bit of time. I mean, this all happened early Sunday morning. Yeah, practically nothing. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, when they start out and made the comment, and I think I will go there, that that in the, the initial moments when the tomb is empty and they realize he's not there— um, you know, we like to think of we like to think of happy Christianity, where where people are realize that that um, Jesus is alive, and so everything's okay. They were not okay in that moment. In fact, mm-hmm. in terms of thought process, they were probably closer to Richard Dawkins than they were to a, a faithful Christian, yeah. so to speak, uh, or a modern American Christian. Uh, which is, you know, uh, dead people don't rise. They were eminently practical. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know if I had been in a different circle. We'd been talking about Lazarus coming back to life. So it'd be interesting to know if if that factored into their their thought process or I mean my guess is no because when you're in the midst of trauma like that, you're not really making deep historical connections. You know, maybe later as they worked through it, maybe that that came to mind, but they had with the exception of Lazarus, they had never seen this before. And so, of course, they wouldn't expect it. And they might very well have thought that once Jesus died, that power died as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the healing and everything was centered on him um, until now. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So the, the the women really do go through a lot in a span of, you know, you have to guess that this is like no more than 20 minutes. Yeah that this goes on. I'm, and I'm just, that's no scholarly guess. That's just a, you know, how long does it take to, to show up and go, I'm confused. I'm angry. Uh, Oh, look, someone who is really scary telling me don't be afraid. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot packed into these moments. Yeah. I feel like if someone would have told me to not be afraid in those moments, I would have told them to go pound salt. Like, no, this is scary. (laughs) This is not, this is not, what we thought this whole thing is not what we thought was going to happen on a large level, but even on a small level, like this is not what we expected. And it is, it is scary. Their friend is gone. And even the guards are confused and overwhelmed. And I love how it's noted that they're like, um, we'll just devise a plan and say that his body was stolen. Yeah. Let's just say his body was stolen. Okay. Everyone on the same page. We're just saying his body was stolen. Like they, they don't know what happened either and are like, oh, this is not going to look good for us. No, because I mean, the, the, they were in very real, uh, they, they were in very real trouble because they could be executed for that. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the fact that the fact that the religious leaders are willing to pay off Pilate in this instance or whoever the, the guards commanding officer is, mm-hmm. um, is huge and I'm sure they would have taken that because if the body isn't there, uh, it's on the soldiers and and that penalty is death. Yeah. Yeah. So their lives were on the line too. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the, to the religious leaders, I thought about this actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't mention that this was on my, it was, it was on the cutting room floor of my brain. (laughs) Um, but you know, I thought about that and I was like, why wouldn't they just allow the, the guards to be executed? Um, but then I thought they need someone to actually tell the story. Mm. Um, because the, um, obviously the religious leaders are, are biased. It, It would come out as a story. And so uh, it would give 
some semi-independent eyes. And so uh, they want that, that rumor to be spread. Yeah. So, and they don't want to admit that the body isn't there for a reason that would really upend the, cru- the their their conviction of him. Yeah, in this way, it's the disciples that look bad and, and look like they've dishonored Jesus in some way. They stole him away while the guards were asleep instead of the guards and the chief priests having to admit, oh, wait, maybe he was who he claimed to be. Right. Maybe, maybe something was bigger than what we experienced there. Yeah, yeah. So what else did you, did you hear in, in these passages? And just to clarify, we, uh, we are in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28. That was the Easter passage. And then we are in Matthew chapter 26 for the Maundy Thursday passage for uh, right at the beginning of Matthew 26 with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. Yeah, I think kind of like I started out saying, I wonder what it have, would have been like to be celebrating Passover under the cloak of darkness, under pretty strong oppression um and and comparing that to the idea of of the way we celebrate easter now that we look forward to eternal life even as we're surrounded by the heartbreak of death and sin um and in the sermon it was pointed out that you know we want the empty tomb to make us feel better and it does but it isn't instant it's not a quick oh everything's going to be okay now. Look, Jesus is back. Great. Um, that, that we're still living in that tension of, of sin and hope and, and victory, but the way that, that sin still has a hold on this world around us that I think is hard. It's, it's, to me, it's tiring to reckon, reckon with all of that, to proclaim hope, even while you're watching, the news and watching terrible things happen and watching um, those who are already in poverty be crushed even more by natural disasters or, or whatever happens to be going on. And I think for a lot of people, that is a, a stumbling block to their faith. I mean, how often we hear, you know, I don't want to worship a God who would let this happen. And yeah. on some level we get it. I get it. And yet at the same time, if I didn't have hope, then what, what even is the point if I didn't believe that that somehow all of this will be redeemed, that somehow the empty tomb will change lives. And later we talk about how that, that happens in the presence of the risen Jesus. If I didn't have that hope, then what, why even bother? Why, you know, why do anything to improve the world we're in or why even fight the temptation to, to sin and, and be a terrible human? <laughs> um, if, if it, if there's no meaning or, or coming victory behind that. That's a very real question um, because we do stand in this in-between mm-hmm. era between, you know, the, the promise of justice and the execution of justice in this world. Um, and, and we're left to, to figure it out. And actually we'll talk about that in this coming week as we talk about the, the Great Commission where the, the, the mission continues, but it's been passed on to us. But man, to, to, you're, you're right. There is so much in this world that even as, so I was, um, 
<laughs> I took uh, Cameron to the dentist yesterday mm. and I uh, had uh, my second worst Chipotle experience in the midst <laughs> of that. <laughs> um, Someday you'll have to tell us about the first. Yes, I will. I will. That, that, goes to that that award goes to the the chipotle in north beverly massachusetts if you're listening <laughs> congratulations um no but uh so the second uh, you know we everyone was just dour mm. like it, and as we so the room where we record here has windows on two sides of it and as i'm looking out i mean there are just blooms and blossoms and the sun is out and people are cutting grass and it, it's it's gorgeous Mm -hmm. and so it's a time of year when we should be all i mean it's been 80 for three days here in the pittsburgh area with sun yeah the sun the sun is what tips it over into unbelievable category yeah i mean we get more dark days here than seattle so i mean we should be over the moon and i walk into chipotle and it just seemed like a funeral Mm. i i mean and so and even at the the dentist's office uh, you know, the only small talk that, that could be, could be managed was, well, so is it getting warmer outside? And I'm like, oh man, the, the, yes, yeah. yes, it's beautiful. Um, and there really is this, this pall that even in the midst of, even if we try to pump ourselves up with what looks like the, the good things in life, you know, um, I got to play, um, catch with Ian and Cameron while the dogs ran around at the park yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. um, there still is this heaviness and you go, man, do people have hope? Can they look around and see the handiwork of a just creative, good God? Yeah, it, and it seems like the answer is no, and and I get that. Yeah, because even for someone who professes the faith, some days it's much easier to remember that than others. You know, um, that that some days it's just hard to find that hope, and yet I I think of the the parable where Jesus tells about the man who says, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. Yes. Like, um, like I, it's somewhere in there, I believe, but oh man, the unbelieving part is a little bigger right now. And I'm going to need, I need the, the spirit to, to meet me there right now. Um, and, and I think that's why sometimes it is good to hear these familiar stories, to go back to resurrection, to, to just read again the account because that's all, all all we have the capacity to do, to remember the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. Okay, for today that's going to be enough. No deep theological meaning, no nothing more than just the fact that Jesus is dead and now he's alive and that's enough to get me through this next day or hour or minute until, until that hope um, floods my heart again and I can see it more clearly. And, and and it's hard when you're in that place, but we've all been there. And I think to pretend we haven't been there, to pretend that good Christians don't struggle, good Christians don't have questions, that that it's never hard to see God at work, does us a disservice. And then we just pile guilt on top of the despair that we're already feeling. Yeah, that's... that's um... That, that's a, a terrible pattern that we can get ourselves in. And that mm-hmm. I think American Christianity 
in particular has struggled with because we want to be a happy society. Uh, we want to be a happy people, but we're oftentimes guilt ridden. We're oftentimes anxiety ridden. And we don't know what to do with that. We haven't integrated suffering into the Christian life very well. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that Jesus is crystal clear about is he says, in this world, you will have suffering. Yeah. And that you had brought that out many times on Maundy Thursday, that the, that the cup that Jesus shared signified suffering. The bread signified suffering. The bread of affliction. That, I love that. Yeah, that. That these things didn't surprise Jesus. He wasn't saying, man, I didn't think we'd be struggling with this. Like he knew, he knew that he knew the suffering that they had endured up until that point, And he knew it was only going to get harder from there. I think sometimes too, it's hard. You had mentioned American Christianity because on the whole, we're not persecuted. No one is telling us that we can't worship the way we want or when we want. No one is, is, our lives are not at stake when we come to church. Um, I have no fear going to the pulpit of any governmental repri- uh, 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 retribution. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's easy to look at countries where where persecution is extreme and say, well, they're suffering. And they are. But we have to reckon with suffering in it in a different way. Um but I think every bit as troublesome, even if it's not outside forces, even if it's just the suffering that comes from our own heartbreak and and confusion and questions. Which which gets us to to one of the the points that I was trying to make in the sermon as well, which is that you know, when the, when the empty tomb leaves us feeling kind of, I don't know, I need something more. We really do need a little bit more. And that's where the women actually encounter the risen Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's where the story turns. Yeah. That's when it starts to become real. I, I imagine that that's where they start to understand that no one has stolen the body and the guards aren't out to trick them. That's when they start to realize, oh, wait, this is what we've been preparing for. Like, this is, this is the good news. And then they run and tell everybody. Yes. And, and that's a, that's a totally different, it's a totally different paradigm because now they've got to incorporate this idea of a risen Jesus and they're ready to do that when they see him. Um, and they don't, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's there, there's something about his presence that overwhelms the intellectual side. It doesn't negate it, yeah, but it puts it to rest. Maybe that's the best way to phrase it. Yeah. Because um, I, I don't believe in an anti-intellectual faith. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have gone to the school I went to. <laughs> I wouldn't be still in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's our call as as Christians even now to balance education and intelligence and reason and also trust in the unknown and and the things we can never explain with words i know that i think i mentioned last time or maybe in our discussions that the middle schoolers always try to trick me when they ask me well tell tell me about the trinity because they know that it just makes no sense three and one but only a hundred percent but three different 
people, but, but all the same, <laughs> but not different modalities. And, um, You'll have to link to the video that, yeah, you, so that you shared, which is we'll, super we'll fun. Put, we'll put in the uh, description the link to Lutheran satire where uh, they make fun of uh, St. Patrick's bad analogies. <laughs> but at some point, you know, with the Trinity, with with Jesus being fully human, fully God, with even with eternal, the idea of eternal life, you just have to accept on faith that that no reason or intellect is going to be enough for that even while recognizing that I think part of being made in the image of God is those gifts of reason and and intellect that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom and so to keep those things in tension and to honor all those things is important and good and and like the women when they encountered the risen Jesus and like you said you know the the spiritual kind of overwhelmed the intellectual in that moment. I think in some ways that's what it means to worship, to to allow the spiritual to um, to answer the questions that reason constantly puts in our brain and and to bring us closer to the throne of grace that way in those moments. I think that's comforting for a lot of people where um – especially when they think about the the learning that, you know, we as pastors do and the, the, mm-hmm. the geeky, uh, you know, jokes we can make because we, you know, because we, yeah. we, we have a, a, a level of intellectual knowledge that the common person in the, uh, that the lay person in the, um, in the pews doesn't necessarily have. And, you know, the, the great fear that we encounter, I mean, even discussed it recently with people, uh, talking about spiritual growth. Why, why can't we get people to lead small groups? Why can't we get people to step up and lead? Well, they're afraid. Mm -hmm. They're afraid that they don't know enough. They're afraid making a mistake and so on and so forth. And, um, it's a good reminder that at the end of the day, it isn't the intellectual that carries, but it, it's actually the spiritual presence, the, the physical and spiritual presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. not anything that, that the women bring in that moment. They bring themselves, but it's actually the presence of Jesus that, and and they respond beautifully by worshiping. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine what they must have been thinking and feeling and experiencing in that moment of worship and then that desire to, like, we have to get, we have to tell other people about this. We can't keep this to ourselves. And I imagine that may have been a temptation because they already thought they already saw Jesus tried and crucified. And then they thought his body was stolen and now he's alive. Like you could, you could make an argument for saying like, Hey, let's just not tell anyone about this. There is no one who's going to believe us. Yeah, No one's going to believe us. And then if he did come back to life, are they going to try and kill him again? Or are they going to put him in prison again or worse? Are they going to put us all in prison? Let's just keep this to ourselves and and hang out here with the risen Jesus and worship on our own. Um, and yet, that's not the call. And then in the passage that we'll we'll study for this week, we see that even more that the the only response that is demanded of us is to go and tell and make disciples and share the good news throughout the whole earth. 
so a couple of thoughts here, um, because there's a number of ways that, that we can unpack that. Uh, one of the things that I didn't highlight in the sermon, of course, is the fact that the women are the first to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a massive, um, just a massive point in the Gospels, because uh, as much as we talk about equality today and um, the gender equality and so on and so forth, um, in that time, if you were going to concoct a story and try to make it sound as as um, ironclad as possible, you would not have the women be the first people to hear the good <laughs> news. Um, women's testimony in the Roman legal system was viewed as, as kind of a second-class testimony that needed to be corroborated. It could be used, but it was le- legally suspect. Mm. Um, and so uh, here, the fact that Jesus appears to the women first. He's not terribly concerned about the Roman legal system. First of all, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. he's probably had enough of the Roman legal system at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, the fact that the women are told is just a, a, a massive shift in the way that the kingdom operates versus the way that this world operates. And it's, it's right from the get go of the resurrection. It's, Jesus is just doing what the kingdom values are. Yeah. And really it's, it's been a kingdom value all along when you look at all the times throughout history leading up to this point that, that God has used the people that would not have been society's first choice to. Here's looking rule. at you, Rahab. Yeah. I mean, and, and even, I mean the women of course, but also even Moses and David and, you know, all these people that had all these reasons why they weren't the first choice in doing this and the women being in that same category, it would have been more believable coming from a man at that time. And yet God says, nope, I'm going to use the the least likely to prove my point, to, to spread the good news, to further the kingdom. Um, and I think there's a lot of joy in that too realizing that God has a history of using people who aren't qualified. So whew, that you know, takes a little pressure off there of me. There is one sitting, sitting yeah. right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the, that was one of the, the – and then another author um, wrote about the fact that the open tomb itself is unnecessary. And I thought, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And Luke points out that that Jesus is able to enter, he's able to pass through uh, locked doors and so on and so forth. And so this commentator says, the open tomb, the open and empty tomb is really there for our benefit, not for Jesus's. Hmm. Um, And so uh, I... To me, that was a fascinating point. I didn't think it was uh, a good point necessarily for the for a sermon, yeah. but it was one of those add-ons that I thought, you know, that's very interesting. Once again, I had interpreted the scripture through, you know, my own basic understanding, and really, God had done something for our benefit, not <laughs> something for His own. Yeah, you know, this is. I'm not, it wasn't the father saying, oh, Jesus, now that you're resurrected from the dead, I don't know why he has an Irish accent, but <laughs> oh. now that you're resurrected from the dead, I think I'll open the door for you. Yeah. How will you get out of here? Hmm, let's hmm. see. Um, <laughs> Resurrection foiled by closed door. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I thought of everything except that. No, I wonder too if if part of it, I mean, it's for our benefit in the the fact that it 
also adds to the the veracity of the story. Like if the tomb had stayed shut, there'd be questions. There'd be questions. Like mm, the the women really didn't see the resurrected Jesus. They saw someone who just looked like him, or they're just hysterical. They're so lost in their grief they can't see straight. But you can't deny the fact that yesterday there was a stone there. And today it's over there and no one could have moved it on their own. Right. Huh. Right. So that, you know, that was another issue that kind of got cut to the floor uh, in, in favor of the, the points that I, I tried to make. Um, and then, and those were the Easter Sunday cuts. Mm -hmm. I had uh, a couple minor cuts from Maundy Thursday. Uh, one is this, this fantastically, you know, confusing statement, um, that we all try to make something out of Jesus is talking about who's going to betray him. Mm. And, uh, he says the one who dips his hand in the bowl with me. And we're like, Ooh, did Judas dip at the same time? Or is, is it the fact that he's close to Jesus? And so he used the same bowl or so on. And really Jesus is just vague booking before <laughs> vague booking was a thing. Um, yeah. and he is saying simply that someone who's eating in this room with me, it's, yeah. it's you. I know I've always wondered about that because certainly if there was a specific act and Jesus would have said, hey, the person who does this specific act is going to betray me. And then that person did that specific act. I'd like to think that the other 11 would be like, wait, stop it. What are you going to do? Exactly. Like that they would have picked up on that or or noticed. I mean, if, you know, every Peter think, is in the room. Yeah, he would have done something. <laughs> um. You think of every movie that you watch when there's, you know, someone's going to do this and all the characters wait and watch and overanalyze everything, you know, all the clue type type movies. Certainly the disciples would have done that too, I think. So it makes, to me, it makes much more sense that it was more of a general, like someone in this room, someone who's having this meal with me is going to do it. And then I think it's also funny that all the disciples were like, it's not me, is it? Nope. It's not me. I don't think it's not me. Is it Jesus? It's not me. What did yeah. I do? Yeah. Did I it, say something? Did in, I tell somebody something? And in that, all of them say, it's not me, Lord. Mm -hmm. And and they address him as Lord. Very interestingly, when Judas finally responds, uh, he says, uh, uh, he says, surely not me, rabbi. You're mm -hmm. not talking about me, rabbi. And he has this, the, he doesn't call him Lord. He, he, he uses the kind of the more common rabbi. And so we start to begin to see the division between the 11 who are recognizing that he's more than something. Um, and certainly they're not there yet. They're, mm -hmm. they're all going to fall away. Yeah. But when it comes to, to Judas, he clearly has a lower vision, uh, a lower status attributed to, to Jesus in that moment. Yeah. And so just a subtlety in there that you see and you go, hmm, okay. Yeah. Those are those are the things that that got cut. I mean, there there's so much more. There was uh, I was reading through the the scholarly literature and I was going, "Oh my goodness, do I go this direction? Do I go that direction?" And of course, all that was compounded by the fact that it's Easter and we all know the story. Yeah. He's dead, but now he's alive. Woohoo. Yeah. Surprise. Have good brunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And everyone's all sugared up to even begin with. So. Exactly. Exactly. So what are you thinking in terms of, as we talk about 
Jesus' resurrection, as we talk about his betrayal and so on and so forth. We talked a little bit about the application uh, in the sermon, but what what have you reflected on in terms of these passages and, and how these get lived out then? I think find ways to be in the presence of the risen Jesus, whether that looks like you alone with your Bible or worship songs or music or whatever connects you to the spirit, whether that's those deep, meaningful spiritual conversations with friends where you can encourage each other and find, find parallels in your struggles or, you know, someone who's further along in the path of faith or who has been through what you're going through and can, can encourage you with, with spiritual wisdom. Um, you know, whether that's enjoying the beautiful creation and, and thanking God for that, but find, find ways to be in the presence of the risen Jesus, whatever that, whatever your heart needs, knowing that it's, it's some, for all of us, I think it's some combination of all those things and more Mm. depending on where we are. But that's where transformation happens. That's where hope is found. You had mentioned, and I can't remember if we said it already, you know, if you stay at the tomb, then you're just at the tomb there. there, That's not where the hope is. The hope is found in the resurrected Jesus. And then not to steal from this week's sermon, but then go tell others where you found Jesus and how you found him and what he's done for you and, and encourage them to come into that same presence and come into that promise of faith, because those are the things that, that will sustain us when like the women we think, Oh, what more could I possibly endure? What more could possibly happen in this moment, I thought it was as worse the, the worst it could get, and here we are. Um, you know, it's worse than I could even imagine. So ours is a Presbyterian crowd, and mm-hmm. of course, we don't talk a lot about being in the presence of the risen Jesus a lot. That's yeah. that's more that uh, you know, go to the Pentecostal church yeah. down the street kind of thing. No, don't go to the Pentecostal. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're brothers and sisters. But we don't talk about that. We talk about Bible study. Mm-hmm. We talk about deepening our knowledge, but in terms of if someone were to say, and I know you gave a number of things, you know, if someone were to say, how do I experience the presence of the risen Jesus? I think it is a hard thing because it's, it's not, you can't manufacture it. You can't engineer it, which you know, I've I've been in places and situations where I feel like there's an effort to en- engineer it, and that doesn't feel good. I think a posture of of being open to that, I, and I think being being aware, like you had mentioned, of of creation around us, and and kind of slowly training your thoughts and mind to to not only appreciate that for the creation that it is but also then think of the creator who made it for us to enjoy and you know when we're in worship you know in the the one hour one hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning 
to begin to open your heart to to the words that are being said to think I think again I think it's this interplay of our intellectual and and the um the spiritual you know when we hear the words of institution and remember the significance of the cup and the bread like it's okay to let your heart wonder at that and to take a moment to to appreciate the the beauty in that and to me in those moments that's where I begin to feel the presence of the risen savior sometimes sometimes it's music and the way music can express things that we didn't have the words to say on our own that I didn't have the words to say on my own um I think it looks a little different for everyone different times sure. I, I think sometimes too I mean one of the, one of the ways where I feel the presence of Jesus is in those deep conversations with friends the you know we often talk about the friendships that can pick up even after eight months of not talking and and hopefully we all have friendships where you're not afraid to share the the deeper levels of what it means to be a person and a spouse and a parent and a, a citizen of this world and, and what it means to seek to find your vocation and, and hopefully you have people that that you can talk about those deep things with and I think that connection that that we feel with one another that vulnerability that intimacy is also evidence of the risen Jesus in our lives and the way that God calls us together in fellowship and the way the spirit is present in the midst of that. So. You answered my follow-up, which okay. was, which was where, where, uh, where do you experience the, the risen Jesus? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to, um, go to a meeting where I'll see friends that I only see once a year and, um, or a couple times a year now that we're serving on the board, but they're, they're good friends and long friends and, and people that, that we can talk about our faith together and we laugh and, you know, sometimes we cry and sometimes we do both all at the same time. <laughs> um, and we can, we can air our frustrations, but also honor the heart of the people that bring them. Um, and, and we, we don't all agree on all the points of theology, that's for sure. But, <laughs> but, um, but somehow God is in the midst of, of those relationships for me. And, um, and there's joy in that. And that's what I long for, for my kids too. those relationships that where they can go to other people and say, I'm struggling with this. Cause you know, chances are they're not going to necessarily come to mom and dad first off, but you know, where they can share their joys and share their, their concerns and that other people will, will guide them in, um, in the ways of faith. That's an interesting analysis because as as you were talking about it one of the things that came clear out of that is that, that this idea that an encounter being in the presence of the risen Jesus creates community mm-hmm. um and that may be one area where the church tries to we try to manufacture community mm-hmm. uh we provide opportunities for it but it's really about being bonded around Jesus rather than all of these kind of individual little programs or meetings or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely circular because you need, 
ways to come together and get to know one another, which is what game nights and, and potlucks and food fairs and, and even youth retreats and, and adult retreats, that, that's what those things do to allow those deeper relationships to form. And so, but then you also still need to foster those relationships. So it's, it's a circle that we can't, like you said, we can't manufacture it. But when, when true community happens, I, I think it kind of takes your breath away a little bit, that, that deep sense of, of belonging and community and, and laughter, um, and joy that comes along with it. Yep. <laughs> um, we we had a small visitor. We have preschool help today. Yay! So. Um, yeah, that, that's a um, recover my my thought here, but um, yeah, it does take your breath away when there's true community, and and it and it always has Christ at the center and uh, His presence. Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is which is an important reminder for us as we try to go about our days and as we try to seek, especially post-pandemic, as we try to seek new community and new ways of being. Yeah, and in this world that is so connected and we have so many people in our phones to to reflect what we need to hear, want to hear, I think, I think in some ways that connection has made true community harder to find. Um, and so a thousand miles wide and only an inch deep. Yeah. And so, you know, my prayer is that through the church, through conversations, through worshiping together corporately, through sharing what, what God has revealed to us in what, what the spirit is doing in our personal lives. We've been starting every session meeting with that, that we can, we can start building that, that sense of intimacy, that sense of, of community. So, yeah. All right. Any final thoughts you have there for? No. I mean, like you said, it feels like it's been a million years and only three minutes since Easter, but the, the Holy week, um, the Holy week crash, the crash after Holy week and Easter is real. So, um, as, <laughs> as grace to your pastor friends, yeah, as we, as we try and now shift gears and, and move on, but it's a joy to do these podcasts. It's a joy to think about what God is doing and hopefully in, in us revealing where the spirit is working in our lives through our preparation for the sermons and the, the services and all that, that that will somehow bring you closer to the risen Jesus too. Um, so as always, we hope you appreciated the podcast. If you have found it helpful, um, we would appreciate a rating and review, and you can share it and pass, pass it along to others. If you would want to come and be a part of the podcast and share what God is doing in your life, we would love to have you do that too. Yes, please. Um, you can click the subscribe button, and that way you'll know when an episode goes live, which is probably a good thing over these next few weeks. Our schedule might be thrown off a bit with time in and out of the office, but um, that way you'll get notifications. And as always, we appreciate it, and we hope that 
this has helped you to connect Sunday to the weekday. Have a great week.